Good to see everybody this morning. We're uh, continuing in the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to jump right in there, Luke chapter uh, 18, and we'll pick up on the reading that uh, Wilka uh, shared with us in just a moment ago. You've got the tax collector, you've got the Pharisee. The Pharisee, I think, might be likened, now I hope that you'll follow along with this, but I think we might liken a Pharisee to a medical professional. A nurse or a doctor has the background, has the expertise, has the confidence, and in fact, the ones that we look to. And if you take a poll today about uh, most trusted and respected people in our culture, you would find doctors and nurses and medical people right at the top of that list. I want to suggest to you that it wasn't all that different in terms of the Pharisees in their day, and I tell you that because I think that sometimes we have such a skewed view of the Pharisee the teachers, the leaders of the church of that day because of our reading of the gospel that we could think no way. And certainly there were some that were crummy. Okay, I get that. But what I want us to appreciate is that uh, the Pharisee is the one who would have known his way around the temple that day. On the other hand, there is the tax collector, and most of us in this audience know a little bit about tax collectors because we've seen them pop up in the Gospel of Luke uh, many times before, and it's hard to find anything good to say about this guy, dishonest, not to be trusted, a traitor of his own people, and who who might we liken the tax collector to? If we've got the nurse and doctor on the one hand, Tom Brown said this, you might think of the strip club owner who builds his new operation a couple of blocks down from the elementary school. And the whole town is saying, this guy is the worst. Well, these two men, they went up to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee, the Bible says, stood by himself. We'll get back to that in a minute. But he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this other guy that's standing alone, this tax collector. In fact, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Well, we might ask ourselves, is that actually a prayer? (laughs) If you look in here, is he actually praying? I mean, it's addressed to God seemingly, but is it a prayer? There are traditionally three types of prayer. There is praise and thanks to God. Well, you get a little bit of that in this one. There is confession, admission of sin, and there is petition or intercession for other people. This seems to be, from this Pharisee, a prayer to himself more than it is to God. And it seems to be personal testimony about himself to himself. And he uses a lot of eyes in his prayer, if you go back and count them up, and and saying that I'm not like other people, meaning I'm better than others. And in his superiority, he finds himself standing alone, or maybe because of his own sense of superiority, he stood alone. 
And he reminds God or himself or whoever is listening, here's what I practice, here's my resume, here are my accomplishments, my credits. Well, in contrast, the tax collector, verse 13 says, but the tax collector stood at a distance so he also is by himself. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He couldn't lift his eyes to God. In an unusual action for a man, I understand, it was more common for a woman to do this, but he beat his breast. And you could hear echoes of Psalm 51 and verse 1 coming out. Have mercy on me, O God. Remember Psalm 51, that great psalm of contrition, of confession from David, King David. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, Psalm 51 begins. Well, on face value, this parable is very obvious, isn't it, what is happening? Don't be like the one guy, be like the other guy. What's the parable teaching us this morning? And I think there's plenty. I want to name three things, and two are related to the Pharisee and one to the tax guy. And I want to start it by saying this way, number one, are you unwisely comparing yourself to others. It seems to be that competition and comparison in our day, our culture, the culture that we try to briefly in our Advent time unplug from, it sucks us in in some ways that are inevitable to comparing and to competition. And we begin to rank our identity. How do I stand up as it relates to other people? And I want to suggest, and I believe our parable in the Word of God is telling us that this is a deadly and destructive way to live. Now, the Pharisee had reason for his comparison because it feels good, doesn't it, in some ways, to come out on top? And so he had the bragging rights, and he is morally right, and he is also spiritually shallow. He stood up alone to pray because he saw himself as better than others, and this superiority so hard to see in ourselves, creates a social gap, even as he offers this prayer. And it tempts us, I suggest, every day in our work relationships, our performance, in sports, in education, in money, in race. And it says something like this, I am better than or I am not as good as fill in the blank. And this is the comparison that is going on 
deep within the recesses of our own minds, whether we are always consciously or overtly offer it or not. And I want to suggest that nothing derails our life as convincingly as this. Underlying our comparison is this need to be justified. Our yearning for approval, for validation, that somehow our existence matters. And haven't we seen this movie before? Recall just a couple of chapters before in Luke chapter 15 and remember the older son in the story of the prodigal son or the prodigal father as I relabeled it a few weeks ago in the story who was morally right and yet unwisely spiritually shallow. Here we have this displayed again. Let's go on to the next point. Are you unwisely comparing yourself to your own standards? Not only did the Pharisee compare himself to others, but he compared himself to himself in some ways. And he says, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. He had met the standards, his particular standards that he thought were God's standards. And it was perfectly good. In fact, it was outstanding. It was spiritually healthy. It was scientifically uh, attuned. The fact that you could fast twice a week, so much of science says that's really a good idea. I mean, this guy had it. To give a tenth of all you owe, wow, that is something admirable. I love the commitment. I love the discipline. The problem is thinking that this qualifies you for something before God or before others. It does not. Let me review from the scripture just a few other scenes. Again, familiar ones. But you remember that great scene in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 6 when uh, Samuel arrived. The Bible says Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. This is the one who will take the place of Saul. And Samuel he looked at Eliab and apparently he was tall and he was good looking and he, was, he got Samuel's attention as the next potential king of Israel after the big disappointment in Saul and his, his features resembled those that Samuel had first seen in Saul and then verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. My comparison is way off base from, my, from God's way of seeing. 
You know, it's not the only instance in the scripture. I think about the Apostle Paul as he, when he goes in, he's trying to work with the church in Corinth and their mindset was uh, uh, somehow similar in that it, it, it just wasn't all that morally or, or, or spiritually deep. And he says to the, those in the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. The very two things that we've just pointed out about this same Pharisee, comparing to others and comparing to self, they, Paul says, are not wise. That word wise means enlightened or sharp or bright translation. Comparing yourself among yourselves is not the brightest thing to do. It's a worldly or fleshly problem and uh, so often we practice it. And I think Scripture is trying to tell us is that good fruit doesn't come from this. In fact, it is one of the greatest thieves of joy is comparison and yet from the time we're born comparing competitive world is the world we breathe and so how to find our true justification our sense of being right our identity our meaning our worth from comparing ourselves to others that's going to be deadly and as I think about this message this morning, we're, our number of teens are down a few today, but good to see you guys. They're in the Christmas play. They're up all we're doing the rehearsal. We met, lost some of them as well today. Certainly miss them. I'll be glad when that's over because I'll miss the, I miss the young ones being a part of the worship here. I mean, y'all are good listeners, and I love y'all too, but really miss them. But I think about this particularly for, for, for teens, but for all of us, this, uh, this comparing and impressing seems to be the goal of every Instagram post and every social media app. And the, we've read enough not by now to know that these comparisons are ruthless or destructive. They're not real. They're not even fair. We're always seeing the very best of everyone online. And the self that is being projected is so often not the reality. And, and, and even if it was the reality, it's not to be our focus. We have such an opportunity, church, to stand out from the culture and from the world to the degree that we can get a hold of these truths and no longer judge one another on this basis by these kinds of comparisons, by this kind of, of thinking that, that, that is unwise, that is unspiritual. I'm reminded again of that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul says this, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker, this is how much a reversal God's values and the kingdom of God is, are the, are, to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. 
and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. Maybe that could become our new slogan. We could put that out there on the wall. Be an unusual mission statement, wouldn't it? But, but, but if we can get a hold of this, now we are really after the right things. I, uh, I brought with me a little, couple of ways to just think about this, uh, the, the old measurement prospect and the way that we just go about this on a consistent basis. And if we could stop using these measuring sticks against others and against our own standards. And again, it's deeply embedded within us. So I don't think it's something I'm just going to get up here and preach and we're going to stop doing this. It is something that it is, a, it is a part of our own growth and transformation as people into the likeness of Jesus Christ is to grow out of these things. Not use this kind of measuring stick any longer with others. And what I want to suggest is rather than, than measuring this way, what we ought to use is, is this, a scale. Don't use this measuring stick. Use the scale and your life will change overnight because you will forever see yourself differently. And what I mean by the scale is did you know that the word glory in the Bible means the word weight? Okay, and what is supposed, what, 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 what is happening or, or heaviness? God's glory is the weight that matters. So there is one good measurement, and that is your weight. And, 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 and I don't care this morning how big you are or, or small you are. Okay, I want you to see it. I'm not talking about the number of pounds, but I'm talking about weight here in terms of the heaviness of how heavy you, you become because you are a wisp. You are a wisp compared to the glory of God. And God himself crushes this scale. And you can take your accomplishments and your sense of rightness and your goodness and your, your, uh, all your obedience and all your upbringing and all your, your ways that you uh, feel moral, all the ways that you might be tempted to look down upon somebody else. Why don't you compare it to the glory of God? That's the proper comparison and the true and only scale of measurement. God's glory is the true weight. And then I pray that you will see what the Pharisee did not see, that you cannot justify, save yourself. And so a true comparison will lead to the seven words made by the tax collector. This is what will happen when you do the comparison properly, if you're going to compare. And this may be the greatest line and the greatest insight ever spoken. 
Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. It is you, God, that make things right between us. I cannot do it on my own. My works are not able. And any attempt to live with less than this confession is a deception. So the third point, does your main comparison result in these seven words? All true confessions of faith, all true faith arrives at this confession. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. So if I had to put it into a summary of words, I'd say it this way. Refuse to measure yourself by your accomplishments. Rather, recount your need and your blessings. I was thinking about this phrase, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, for just a minute. And that word mercy, it's a rather complex word for mercy. There's a couple of different words for mercy. This is a complex one that, that you, could, you could substitute the word atonement. What if we said it this way? Oh, Lord, make atonement for me. Lord, it's you that makes me one with you. Then I got to thinking about this idea of the weight, the glory, and the glory of God in that comparison. And then I started to realize when we, when we make this prayer, when this becomes our prayer, we now, we now embody the weight of glory. It's within us. So John chapter 17 and verse 22, Jesus in speaking to his disciples says, I have given them the glory. I've given them the weight that they may be one as we are one. And 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17 says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us, what? An eternal weight, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And Romans chapter 8 and verse 17, Paul says it in another way. He says, now if we are children, then we are heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his weightiness. That is atonement, atonement, mercy, having received his mercy and it's the very reason that when we rely on God to make us right with Him, not trying to justify ourselves or compare ourselves to others or to ourselves, it's the very reason that verse 14, Jesus says, back to our parable, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, 
rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Our performance and our self-ranking is not enough. The weight which crushes the scales is the weight that saves. Now, before we pray together, the guy in the story which we don't like so much, the guy we see too often in ourselves, he didn't go home right. That's sobering. And he will be humbled, the scripture says. If not today, then tomorrow. And if not tomorrow, soon enough. And the strip club operator, he will be justified. Not because of anything he brings that is any good, except a heart that is open to God's weighty goodness. Because of God's scale, the weight of mercy, he finds himself right with God.